Hello, STEM Nation. Jeff here, and welcome to episode number 94 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide students interested in STEM careers. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. Now let's get fired up today with our guest, David, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM degree. And hopefully I get this right, because David has a lot of background here, so you may have to help me out, David. Okay. So David's got an undergrad in computer science. He's got a PhD... PhD degree in biomolecular structure and design, and is the director of research e-science at the University of Washington and a professor in the chemical engineering department. Is that right? Yep, you nailed it. All right. Hey, David, fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. Wow. I mean, I think you got through it all. Uh, before I um, uh, started with e-science and chemical engineering, I did a postdoc in bioengineering. So there's just one more fun engineering in there. Um, in my personal life, uh, I have two high-energy boys, a high-energy dog, and a, uh, a wife that somehow puts up with all of that. Um, she's also a scientist, so we get to talk a lot about um, science at the dinner table, which uh, is fun. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, David, wel welcome aboard. And could you, actually the postdoc thing, could you go into kind of what that postdoc means and what you oh, did yeah. there? Okay. So uh, the typical progression for... Um, say uh, your average faculty member is to do an undergrad degree uh, and then to follow on and get a, a PhD, um, so a doctor of philosophy degree. And typically then you'll go and do what's called a postdoc, which is two or so years um, to polish off, complete your training, learn a few new skills. Um, and then at that point you really will you know, sort of start your career as a, as a, with a real, quote, unquote, real job. So what was your what was your postdoc in again? Uh, it was in bioengineering. Bioengineering, yeah. So you've got your PhD in biomolecular structure and your undergrad in computer science. I think most mm -hmm. folks understand what computer science is. Mm -hmm. Could you delve into what biomolecular structure and design is and what you can do with that? Sure. So um, our bodies uh, and all living things are made up of biomolecules, so DNA, RNA, protein, uh, and in they're in the living setting, um, those biomolecules have to have a structure that allows them to do their function. Um, and being able to, so understanding that structure is important to understanding their function. Uh, that's one thing. But then the new thing that we're really interested in, I think, so that was 2000 when I started. So the new thing I was really interested in at that point was designing new biomolecules. So how can we design, say, new proteins, which are the structures and functions of life? How can we design new proteins that um, do things that nature doesn't already do? So that um, take a small molecule pollutant and convert it into some inert form. So you're actually, you're, you're engineering molecules for a back letter lack of better term is that yep. kind of there at simple terms yeah that's perfect okay so how did you go about going from computer science <laughs> into biomolecular structure and design versus just starting out let's say biology to begin with right so i grew up in a time uh, where computers were kind of becoming a commodity where you could first buy one for your own house you know, and own your own computer. Uh, and that was just super exciting to me. And I spent a lot of time 
in dark rooms with green screen text, um, pounding away at keyboard, trying to understand how computers work. And so I knew that I wanted to do something with computers in my life. And then when I started my undergrad, um, I loved the computer science classes, but we had this requirement that uh, you do an internship. Uh, what we called was, it was called a co-op, but it's essentially a six month um, paid internship. Uh, somehow connected to computer science. And a lot of my friends were going off to work for uh, software companies, um, working in cubicles, doing cool things. They were excited about it, but you know, the whole point was to make a little bit more money for the company. Uh, and I wanted to do something with computer science that was um, sort of more end oriented towards uh, making the world a better place, um, solving health-related problems, figuring out um, how to treat our environment better. And so I went and did a co-op in a research lab um, that was studying protein structure, studying how proteins um, exist in our body and how they function. And I got to do some super cool things there, like go to high energy physics laboratory and shoot proteins with x-rays and um, just do some super neat things that I never thought I would ever do in my life. And it changed what I wanted to do with my computer science degree. And so from then on, I took a lot of biology, I took a lot of chemistry, um, and kind of oriented myself to be somebody that was broadly trained in biology, uh, chemistry, and computer science. Now today, you can go and you can get an undergraduate degree um, in biology that's computationally oriented or in bioinformatics. But um, at that time, those degree programs didn't really exist. So in a lot of ways, I, I got to experiment and be a guinea pig for what those programs might look like in the future. So how are you actually leveraging then your computer science degree in, mm -hmm. in the biomolecular area? A lot of what we do is uh, using computers to solve problems, to uncover hidden structure in uh, experimental data around um, biomolecules. So we'll have an experimental collaborator who will do a really large experiment and generate a ton of data like, um, you know, this, this is how this uh, organism behaves under a variety of different conditions. And they'll give us those data and then we'll write computer software or use some of our existing software or develop new um, data science methods to understand the experimental data that our experimental collaborators are generating and from that, you know, learn the behavior of this organism or learn the behavior of a molecule in the body or uh, understand how um, uh, a, a battery works in, you know, in the, uh, in the electrochemical sense. So th these are all different molecule molecular systems and you can do experiments to generate a lot of data, but gone are the days where a single individual um, reads things out of their notebook and uses a calculator in these days, it's how do you compute on these data? How do you extract that knowledge and information through software? Yeah, so it feels like your computer science is, is a tool in your toolbox uh, to help solve the, the, the biomolecular type of problems. Yeah, absolutely. And what's kind of cool is that now um, biomolecules are my favorite, but um, having that understanding of molecular behavior um, 
of molecules of chemistry, um, a lot of the things that we're doing in the biological space are actually starting to be applicable in other spaces. So other spaces that have molecules that are behaving, we can actually start working on with our computer science tools. So I talked about batteries, but solar panels, um, uh, other places where there are effectively molecules doing the thing of interest. Uh, you can apply computer science methods, software methods to understand how those molecules are functioning and what they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, STEM Nation, listen, you got you have to develop programming skills, com some computer science skills. So no matter what degree you're going for, I'm going to say, you know, at least go take a couple of programming classes. Once you know how to kind of program, they're all kind of the same. The languages are a little bit different and structures a little bit different. But you want to get that that baseline to know how to utilize the computers out there, regardless of what STEM degree you go for. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Um, yeah, I, you, it, you know, the undergraduate time is the perfect time to experiment and try lots of things. And one of those things on your, I need to try this as an undergrad list is taking some programming classes. I totally agree with you. Absolutely. And you know, you brought up bioinformatics. What is bioinformatics? So uh, obviously, it's applied to biology, <laughs> but there, there's a lot of data that gets generated um, by experimental uh, methods in broadly the space of biology, um, and applying the correct statistical techniques um, using the correct, say, machine learning algorithm or uh, understanding how to visualize and process those data as they relate to biological data, I would say broadly that's bioinformatics. All right, and, and David, so you know you're you're doing research at the university level, mm -hmm. but if somebody went off and, and got a, a biomolecular PhD, but didn't really want to do research at the university university level, what are some opportunities out there that it would exist for them? Right. So I can go two ways with this, and I will. Uh, the first is uh, pharmaceutical companies. Um, I think that they're super interested in people that can understand uh, how certain proteins relate to disease and then how you can design drugs, uh, pharmaceuticals to interact with those proteins, for example, to mitigate a disease state. Um, uh, there are other places that those kinds of skills are useful for, for example, in synthetic biology. So if you want to design new microorganisms or redesign existing microorganisms to do something like uh, remediate a contaminated environmental site or produce uh, value-added compounds from a waste prod product, that would be something that, that would be, broadly speaking, synthetic biology. And then, and that, that could be an industry. And then I think one thing that I tell everybody um, that's pursuing a PhD is that it's ultimately a degree um, that when you have a, uh, finished that has really demonstrated that you know how to learn on your own. Um, and so it's not uncommon to see people with PhDs in physics, for example, um, working in finance because um, they have a tremendous amount of understanding of, say, math and calculus and statistics in order to work in a physics space. But then uh, those skills are redeployable, and they, they can learn whatever new things they need to learn in the finance sector. So I think a doctorate uh, generally is a license to do a lot of different things and not necessarily focus on uh, what your research was for your um, PhD. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that, David. It, that even just general STEM degree, you go into your PhD. It just it just shows that you have the the grit to stick with something. You know how to solve problems. You know how to learn, and that's a lot of what companies are learning for. Because once you get a, a job, you know, at a company, you're going to have to learn what it is you need to learn right. to be successful at that company, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, you can't know everything um, all the time, anyway. So, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Demonstrating to a potential employer that you have that skill and ability to learn. And also when you're doing a doctoral degree, you learn a lot of communication skills, uh, verbal and visual and written um, over and over and over and over again, you do that. And so again, that's another skill that's highly transferable, um, either in industry or academia or even government. Yeah, absolutely. You got to have those communication skills. And David, we're going to go over to an area that, to ask, what has you really fired up today? The most exciting to me thing to me is the broad adoption of data science methods in all domains, whether it's astronomy, biology, climate, oceanography, public health, zoology, all every area of science and engineering is seeing, um, it's undergoing this data revolution, and we're seeing that uh, the the new new practitioners of these disciplines are learning this thing called data science, and that's what I think is really exciting to me. Uh, and so whatever I can do to be involved in that, to um, sort of push out the domain boundaries and uh, increase the adoption of data science, that's something that's super exciting to me. Yeah, and if you're when you're looking at classes in college, if you see some classes that revolve around, let's say, big data or AI or machine learning, those would be some classes to maybe look at if they're not part of your core to look at as electives. Yep, absolutely. All right, David. And now you had to get through a lot of schooling, um, <laughs> and this is targeted at juniors and seniors in high school that are just on their, their their initial journey. What are some things that you think would be interesting or helpful for STEM Nation? To know to get through college. Well, I think I think we've kind of hit on it already. But uh, try new things. Um, you know, don't get stuck in the. These are the ten courses, or twenty, or thirty, or whatever you need to get your degree. Like, um, explore the boundaries of that. And uh, I think you know my favorite people to work with are the people that um, can think really broadly and that uh, have a lot of. Uh, exposure and experience to new ideas and it's it's like it's really exciting when um, somebody comes to the table and they've brought an idea from a totally different setting like they've brought an idea to solve a um, problem in biomolecular structure that came from um, video games uh, or came from I don't know, logistics. Like there are so many ways that you can learn and reapply ideas that um, that I think is just one of the most important things that you can do during your education is get exposed to new things and try new things. So what I heard there, David, is if you're playing a lot of Grand Theft Auto, you may have some good ideas. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know about Grand Theft Auto, Um, but I, you know, there are definitely some, uh, if, if, if your listeners have ever heard of the game called Fold It, um, it's a really super interesting game that's essentially uh, a team put together this idea that we want to study protein structure, and we're going to gamify that. We're going to make a video game out of people 
using their supercomputers in their head to solve protein structures. And so that's what they did. And you can go out there and play this game. It's called Fold It, one word, F-O-L-D-I-T. Um, and you'll learn something about protein structure, but you may also very well, um, you know, help solve uh, a pressing problem in protein structure. All right, Sim Nation, put down those Xbox controllers and go look up Fold It and play that for a little bit. All right, and an aha moment, David. You know, something, you know, an aha moment you had that you think would be interesting to STEM Nation and maybe how you turn that into success. Yeah. Well, I think I've had a few of those. I, I sure hope I keep having them because if I figured everything out, then I think my life is going to be pretty boring from here on out. So uh, I would agree. <laughs> so I think one of the big ones for me was during my graduate work. So while I was getting my PhD, uh, I was really focused on simulations of proteins. So how do we um, sort of put a microscope at a single molecule level and take a movie of what that protein is doing in our body? And that's, that's all done on supercomputers. It's all done with software. And so my job as a graduate student was to write software to run those simulations. And as a team, we had decided that if we had simulations of thousands of proteins, that we would understand protein dynamics uh, writ large, right? That w that having all of that data would somehow magically make us into, you know, uh, masters of of protein dynamics. Um, and it was like kind of a big deal. Nobody had ever attempted it before. And so after a lot of person hours, out of many, many millions of hours of supercomputing time, uh, we had a huge data set of this. So imagine taking. Uh, 400 desktop computers worth of storage and um, putting all of our protein movies on there. And we did it, right? And, you know, a lot of the high fives were going around. And um, I had this aha moment when I realized that just having all of these protein movies, these simulations, um, didn't actually mean we understood anything. So data by itself is not knowledge or actionable. It's you have to analyze those data. You have to understand what the data are telling you, you have to apply what I call data science, what a lot of us are calling data science methods to a big data set if you want to actually extract any information or actionable knowledge out of it. Uh, and that was that was that was a click for me that took me sort of you know changed the course of my um, my professional career. That uh, I wanted didn't just want to be a data generator. I wanted to be a uh, a data scientist. Yeah, and you know what, David? Every company out in the world that's looking at AI, they've collected tons and tons of data, yep. and now it's a matter of trying to figure out how do you make sense of that data? Right. <laughs> that is the key. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick pause to thank Audible, who's our sponsor. You can head to stemonfirebook.com. That's stemonfirebook.com to get a free audiobook of your choosing if you decide to cancel Within 30 days, there's no cost, and you keep the audiobook. And we move on to the lightning round time. Are you ready? Oh, let's do it. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, you are not an imposter. Oh, uh, I, didn't, I didn't get that advice. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the most pervasive things that I see, um, you know, at the undergraduate, graduate, and postgraduate level is the self-inflicted wound of the imposter syndrome. Um, and this essentially is where you're stuck in, and it could even be paralyzing, you're stuck in this thinking that, you know, I'm not good enough to be here, I don't belong here, somebody's going to figure out that I don't belong here because I'm an imposter. And that the good news is, that's all in your head, it's 
100% not true. Um, and yeah, you're not an imposter. If you are where you are, then there's good reason for you to be there and you're not an imposter. Absolutely. And the imposter syndrome has come up before on the podcast. So that is something that I think you'd be surprised at a lot of people, most people struggle with that. I think so. And a personal habit that contributes to your success. Uh, I, th I think this counts as a personal habit, but, you know, make sure that in your job, at least once a day, there's something that you really love doing. Um, so I don't like doing uh, paperwork for travel reimbursements, but I don't spend every day doing that, right? So there's some of that, but then the rest of the day, hopefully I'm doing the things that I love and that's what keeps me going and um, gets me up every day. Yep. And a book you would recommend? Oh, only one. <laughs> I'm going to yeah, cheat. Uh, okay, only one. Cheat. No, there's no cheating. You, how, you, is that how you made it through college? That I recommend. <laughs> and two of my, uh, the, his books. Um, the author is Richard Rhodes. And the first book is Energy, A Human Perspective. I think I got that title right. And the second one is Making of the Atomic Bomb. Uh, and I just love history of science. And um, like I fulfilled all my undergrad humanities requirements by taking history of science classes. Uh, I highly recommend that, that experience. Um, but both of these books tell the story of energy and tell the story of, say, the, the creation, the understanding, the development of quantum mechanical theory by vignettes. And so you kind of get to look into the world as it was you know, 200 years ago, 50 years ago, 25 years ago, and see the progression uh, of, of both of those things. All right. You can check out the show notes on stemonfire.com to get those books. And as we wrap up, can you share a parting piece of guidance for STEM nation? And then we'll say okay. goodbye. Um, never stop learning and think about how you can make the world a better place while having fun. And with that, David, we will say goodbye. And I hope you enjoyed that chat today. You can head over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to get up to the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player and share it with a friend. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion in STEM.